Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Archives and Futures, a podcast for future generations. I am your host, Ivan Lozano. I use he, him, and they, them pronouns. And this season is a partnership between Archives and Futures and the DePaul Art Museum. We're calling it the Latinx American Podcast in honor of their exhibition, Latinx American, on view from January 7th through August 15, 2021. The exhibition features 38 Latinx artists from Chicago and beyond, 10 of which we will be interviewing for this season of the pod. The DePaul Art Museum's Latinx American exhibition and its accompanying programs like this one are provided through the generous support of the Andy Warhol Foundation for Visual Arts. Learn more about this exhibition and upcoming events at artmuseum.depaul.edu. And please, subscribe, share, and rate this podcast so that we can reach a larger audience. I want to apologize for the audio quality in this episode. I ran into some last-minute technical difficulties and moment of vulnerability here. I was also pushing through some pretty serious pandemic mental fog. Karen, however, was fantastic throughout and sounds great. So, with that out of the way, let's get into this interview with Karen Dana, which happened over Zoom on February 14, 2021. Enjoy! Hi, uh, my name is Karen Dana Cohen. My pronouns are she, hers. I was born in Mexico City. I grew up there and then came to the US and pursuing a visual artist career. Uh, I consider myself a painter, but more, more recently I consider myself just a visual artist because now I'm I'm developing my work in many different ways, so I cannot say it's just painting. One of the reasons uh, I'm so interested to talk to you, and we were talking about this before I started the recording, is I think you're one of the only artists I've talked to so far that has, like me, that came to the United States as an adult. So let's maybe talk a little bit about Mexico City because it's such an enormous place. Or what were your sort of your earliest aesthetic experiences there? What did you sort of experience in, in DFA that made you think, I'm really interested in art. I'm really interested in, in, in visuals or in painting. So Mexico City is so rich. It has so much color and everywhere. Like I just yeah. remember every time I go there and visit, I try to go and visit during the time where the jacarandas are blooming. Uh, oh my gosh. That color is beautiful and it, it covers the city completely. Um, so that's one of the most, you know, intense experiences. Those trees um, blooming is is really vibrant in my mind. Um, but I always had this fascination for the rotulos uh, and all of those signs. Rotulos are all of these, you know, informal ways of uh, having um, commercial spaces have, uh, you know, advertise themselves in their walls. So it works both ways, like street art and also just very, very useful information that they provide sometimes, but they are so good. Um, so yeah, I love are, them. Yeah. Those are great. Um, I also, one of the things I love about like Rotulos and then also just that kind of visual aesthetic of like the city in Mexico is how um how careless it is with intellectual property but in another way how it like sort of like cannibalizes all the sort of like these like american or dominant images you know to sort of like use it for its own purposes it sort of feels like almost like a um 
like a defense mechanism, uh, like a visual defense mechanism, you know? Yeah, yeah. All of the Fayuca, it's like that. I mean, you know, uh -huh. it's not one the Nikes that were the real ones. They wanted to get the fake ones because they were the fake ones. Yeah. Sometimes, uh, yeah, that definitely is part of my my culture. I also feel like I lived in a part of Mexico City where I had a community within the community that was very inspiring as well because I I come from a Jewish family, but that migrated from Syria. So I have the three things like the Mexican. That's very, yeah, that's Jewish. a very rich culture. Yeah. And we're all mixes. And this I, is also, yeah, and this is also like a really good point. I'm glad you brought this up too, because there's this, you know, when you, when you think of people that come from Mexico here, there's this monolithic idea of what that means, but there's so much variety of what me being Mexican means. And yeah, you know, you can have um jewish ancestry middle eastern ancestry japanese ancestry there's just so many there's, 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 there's such a mix of, of, of people in mexico yeah and talking about the rotulos if you go to the, the the neighborhood where i grew up there's all of this mix that you would never guess that you're in mexico city i mean there's you know all of these um you know all of these stores where they have like jewish bakeries and they have all of these things in Hebrew, or then there's the Arabic part of it, and there's music in it. So it's a very beautiful culture mix that I always try to, to kind of like show people, especially in the food. I think it's the best food. <laughs> you know, Syrian what the, the, with guacamole. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> Enchiladas de mazo. I had a roommate when I was in college in Texas that was that was Tejano and Jewish. Uh, and yeah, the food was so interesting how like those two cultures mixed together their their culinary habits. What was the experience like when you went to the uh, the National Institute of Fine Arts? Yeah, Instituto Nacional de Bellas Artes, right? Yeah. So for me, I went there as and I did my undergrad training. But it's there's no college in Mexico. You go straight to university. Yeah. So I did five years there and it was incredible. There, it was very diverse in terms of like lots of people from Latin America, even Europeans went there to study. Yeah. I wasn't expecting that. It's usually a very, um, you know, people who go to Mexico to study in Mexico, I expected them to be all in Mexico, like from Mexico City, but they were from all parts of the country. Um, it's a very small program. They don't have their yeah just to kind of have a larger one, but the quality of, of uh, exposure I got, the learning experience I got from, you know, just different ways of learning about who you are and define yourself was a very beautiful experience for me. Yeah, yeah, it was vibrant, it was a vet, like I just had the most fun and, and being there also meant that I, I kind of like left the little bubble where I grew up <laughs> because people were, and, and we all do that sometimes. Like you go to college in a place where you didn't grow up. Although I kept living with my family because that's, there's no like dorms or anything similar. Right, yeah. Live with their family uh, still when they go to university in Mexico. Most Most people do. And what was your family's experience like when you decided to come 
to like come out as an artist? Was that something that your family sort of took um, in stride that they sort of understand what you were trying to do? What was your experience with being with artists in your family or growing up? So my parents have always been very curious and they've been very like they've been exposed to art. They like it a lot. My father is an architect and he. Okay. That's a, that's a very typical Mexican like artist experience, right? <laughs> Families with architects in them. I guess. Yeah. Uh, my dad went like went to UNAM where, and he went there, but then because of the, all of the student movement there, he would never finish no. his training. And just recently he went back and says like, no, I did come here and I want to do. But it was interesting because he had that experience of going to university in the city and he was the first in his family uh, since he was a first generation immigrant in Mexico. He was the first uh, of like, he, he he's one of, six children and he he's the third and he's the first one who went to to school like above, above high school um so he really wanted us to go to school for a longer time and we did have the resources but he would never think that i would like to go to art school um although he always encouraged me to to pursue what I wanted. So I remember lots of times growing up where my father took me to, you know, these museums or galleries, especially we went on the weekends to Cuernavaca, that it's a city very close to Mexico City. Um, and we just spent there the weekends uh, and he took me by myself. I felt like it was a treat, just me and my father to the Jardin Borda or to like Blady. There's different, you know, art centers in Cuernavaca that it's a very artsy place. So I guess they, I always liked art and I guess they, both my parents were very supportive in that sense. And did you have an idea what that meant at that point in time, especially in Mexico? You know, I left when I was 18, so a little earlier than, than, than you did, but I don't think I really understood what like the experience of an artist in Mexico was at that point. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess, I mean, there's a tradition of Mexican art that's been there forever, but it changed of course, a lot yeah. when I when I moved to, to when when I started the school. And yes, it felt like there was a, an art scene and an unexpected one. I was just discovering this new world, and I was super excited to be part of it. Um, but it also showed me how it, it I mean, it, it has a lot of problems, you know, because yeah. it, it, Mexico, it's so divided in terms of class. Mm -hmm. I, I, I yep. noticed that and the art world kind of belonged to one very tiny <laughs> percentage of the population while excluding most of the population. And then the real, the real artists, like the real content did not come from those artists who were there in the farandula. They came from the, you know, the underground, like the ones who really had some things to say. So I had a lot of trouble really placing myself somewhere in that landscape because I was neither one side or the other. I took a while until I could understand my place in the world or in that world. 
And once again, like it keeps changing. That's what my conclusion, it keeps changing. I, you know, I came to the US and that changed and my perspective of that world also changed. What kind of work were you doing back then? Was it still just painting? You know, for a while in Mexico, um, at the beginning of my five years of, of uh, art school, I did not paint. I just went oh. back to painting for the last year. So I started, Got it. like I wanted to, I did lots of drawing, mostly of, of um, you know, a, a lot of the Rotulo's uh, influence, just this idea of how you remember certain characters of your childhood cartoons and stuff like that. A lot of that yes. had to deal with the memory and my my understanding of how that changed and the innocence that fades away. But then, so I explored, like I did a lot of sound pieces and I worked on, on video for a little while. Not, I feel like I really just wanted to explore. Uh, but yeah. after, after a while, like the last year I did go back to painting very different type of painting, but I, I did go back and I really enjoyed it. And I remember why I was a painter too. You know, Mexico is a very misogynist country. Um, was that a difficult experience or did you run into misogyny when you were in, in, in Mexico uh, working in art? Definitely. <laughs> That's like one, yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> difficult, very, very difficult to navigate that because I, I mean, because of the culture, it was, the, it was you, you as a woman had to be either an artist because you just enjoy, like you didn't have anything else to do, or you were a rebel. And I guess yeah. I was the second one, you know, I was a rebel. I, yeah. I didn't want to go where everybody else went. I wanted to explore and, and open my world. And I knew that I lived in a little, and in a community that was very rich and very close to each other, but also I wanted, I was curious to see more of the world and like, and, and also understand what I wanted to become. Um, yeah. So in that sense, I, I, I also felt like I had to join collectives and and try to build shows on, on our own. Like we, we, when I was in school in Mexico, we discovered that there was like lots of abandoned buildings in the Centro Historico. And we went there and took the permission, like the, asked for the permits and just to cover some of them with art exhibitions and started collaborating yeah. with musicians. And it was a very fun period of my life. Because there, because there was not a, because we did not follow the establishment of art, we were kind of like doing our own independent thing on the side. Yeah, you were creating a new world, and there was such a, um, there was a need for that, you know. What were some of your mentors at that time, or sort of um, your art references? Yeah, I had, it was kind of like a learn by yourself, but I did go to, um, I did go to a workshop where I learned a lot of how to draw and just how to live around these creative minds. Um, Gilberto Aceves Navarro was uh, one big one for me who introduced me to 
like a different way of thinking about drawing. It was a lot about, you know, just um, automatic way of drawing and looking at things and just nonstop without thinking of the end result um, for hours. It was great. Then I, I had also Jose Luis Sanchez rule on uh, Abraham Cruz Villegas. Uh, lot, all, there's like this generation of artists who were teaching at at the Les Mirages yeah. then, and I kind of like grew up with them. I think we were our own. Nice. Uh, yeah, it was fun to have them. But I don't see then, the mentors. I, I don't think I had that figure at all. I mean, they were there and we we were very good friends and we helped each other figure out certain things. I did, I've never had a mentor. <laughs> hey, you know, sometimes you have to be your own. I can understand that. What was the process like? And what was that decision to, 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 to apply for uh, a grant to come to the United States? And you came to Chicago, right, originally? Yeah, so I, I wanted to, I wanted to explore the possibility of moving here and, and just, I had, I had this um, grant from that, it's, a, it's called the Jovenes Creadores, and it's just a grant that supports young emerging artists with a project for a year. But it's a fun one because you need to go develop your project and then go back and and get together in a trip with all of these creatives um, from different, they're doing different things from architects to writers, to theater, to all of these kinds of creatives. So of course we had the best time, but also that opened a possibility for me to come to Chicago. And that was great because I came here, I was not um, in a formal MFA yet, but I did took some classes at Columbia College. And through that experience, I kind of like learned the system. I didn't even know how to apply to in the US. Being in Mexico, it's hard because you go to the website. Now it's even, it, it's much more connected, but then you had a website, but it's, it's, it's difficult. You still had to go with a hard copy and show your yeah. portfolio printed. There was no Instagram, no nothing. Um, so then, <laughs> yeah, I remember, and he was like, so I, I just have to say, like, the Chicago community, especially the Columbia College, was as close as a mentor could be to me because they were, I met them for a year and they were super helpful. So I will always be thankful. <laughs> <laughs> and was that the first time that you live, you'd lived outside of Mexico? I lived for short periods of time in Israel as well, but it was not like a move move. It was temporary, Yeah, you know, for six months for then, I, then I went back and yeah, but to the U S yes, it was the first time that I decided to move to the U S. Um, I mean, that's, that's a lot, that's a lot of culture shock coming from Mexico city to, to Chicago, just the weather and, you know, the sort of the experience of the city. It's so different. Um, how was that for you? I think it was an adventure. Uh, I didn't see it as a very, you know, I, I wanted, I wanted it. I wanted to. Explore. You were ready for it. Yeah, I definitely was. I, I was very curious, and and yeah, it was the best. It was it, it's a very welcoming place too, especially when you're. Yeah, a Chicago's a really welcoming town. Yeah. 
What made you pick Chicago? So I didn't move alone. I moved with my boyfriend at the time because okay. my husband and we were both apply. He he's in the medical field, so he's a very in a very different career. Um, he was between art and medicine, art and medicine. So he decided <laughs> to go to medical school and then marry me, I guess. Um, yeah, so we came together and we just wanted a place that worked for both. I also feel like Chicago is a big city, but it's all, it also has a very... Um, it's a manageable a, big city, a, a yeah. Community and it's manageable. It's, uh, yeah. That's why we both came at the same time. <laughs> and, yeah. And then where did you go after that? Then I, I went to New York and in New York, I, I went to grad school and I stayed there for a while. I stayed there for like 14, almost 15 years. It's been a, a long time. <laughs> um, in New York, I, yeah, I just felt like I was going to live there for good. And, and then I, that was not the case. I came back to Chicago and I'm, yeah. So, so but, but it was great to live a decade in New York as an artist. Yeah. That was a great experience too. Um, I mean, it, it really kind of forces you to really, I mean, Chicago does as well, but living in a city of that size kind of forces you to really commit to art if you want to stay doing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you have to commit to just like, I'm going to be an artist. I'm going to have my studio. I need to carve out the place for my practice and, um, and create a system where I keep doing things because Otherwise, it's so easy in cities of that size to lose focus. Um, at what point did you start sort of feeling like this is what I want to do sort of for the rest of my life or I want to professionalize in this? Ivan, I feel like that's a decision that I need to make every day. <laughs> <laughs> that's well, a good uh, point, too. <laughs> uh, I guess I don't take it that seriously. You know, I just love it and I'm grateful that I can keep making art and ident like one of the reasons that I want to keep uh, identifying myself as an artist is because when you're an artist and you move to any place you have a community of people that are the best the right people they're the most sensitive they're the most intelligent open creative um and I, I love that they do things. They don't only talk about making changes. Um, and you can have like very thoughtful conversations with them. And you will always feel like you're part of something bigger than yourself. So I, that's something that I, I really appreciate as being an artist. And I don't want to ever stop being an artist because of that. You know? <laughs> Keep meeting the best people. Yeah, no. Absolutely. And it's just such a way of like processing the world as well. I think that that's something that I'll always have to do. You know, it, it doesn't even feel like a choice. It just feels like something I have to do. Otherwise, I'll go a little bit crazy if I don't have that sort of like release of like making something and processing the world through that making. Um, now, um, <clears throat> let's see. Uh, I've got a couple of other questions here that I wanted to ask you, but let's start maybe by thinking about the way that you something that I read on your website was that you think of painting almost as like a, a performative action uh, in your work. And I wanted to maybe talk about that because I think that's an interesting way of thinking about painting, the performance of it and not just the um, result of it. 
So when you're making work, um, where's the, what's the most fun part for you? Yeah, so I think each work is an exploration of some different, like a different thing uh, that it's connected and linked to my background. Um, so in a way I'm processing my experience of being an immigrant with, with um, trying to recreate certain practices that women in my family historically uh, did. Also, they were immigrants. So I feel like that kind of get, links us, even if we're in a completely different circumstance and gives a voice to women who could never speak about this experience, right? I can, and I'm very grateful for that. So I really want to connect with that. And um, I'm going to give you like a couple of examples of that practice. So for example, I do remember I have a couple of sweaters or shawls that my grandma needed for me when I was a little girl. Um, so I start by trying to recreate um, way, a painting, a, a paint that has the same structure of, of yarn. So like I kind of like investigate chemically, like I try to make the paint thick and long and make it in a, in a spaghetti shape, and then I try to knit with it. And that makes um, the result of the painting being not trying to mimic the visual sweater on uh, uh, everywhere. So some areas, I include that because I like the juxtaposition also of uh, figurative work and abstract work. And there's a lot of layers. So there's a layer that might go more into the you know, the, the figurative and another layer that's very thick. And then my experience, so by painting like that, I'm also trying to connect my practice of, of making a sweater. And and the piece that it's at the, uh, the Paul Art Museum, it's actually a um, little blanket that I needed when I was pregnant for the first time for my son. And I learned how to knit through that process. I've never needed before in my life. That was my first time. Um, so I wanted to kind of like do something for, for him. Um, and for years, I kind of like knew that that was there. It, was, it does not look like a regular blanket. It's all patchwork and different textures of yarn. I, as a painter, I included that. Uh, and then I, I decided to cover that in ink and press it through a paper and do, like create a monotype. Because you know, all of the, like when you become a mother, there's a lot of touch that come into the, your, your, the way of giving care for, for to someone uh -huh. is touch. The pressure you put into the paper is kind of like a similar thing. Um, so I do those kinds of performative actions. I think it's really interesting how you mentioned that it ties into this history of labor. Um, of a, a specifically also the labor of women in your family. Does it feel like uh, reaching back to like your grandma when you're doing that? Or do you feel that as sort of pushing that um, experience to the future to your children as a way to sort of keep it going in a way? I just feel like it's very important to acknowledge that there's labor there and it's unseen yeah. for the most part of history. It's been kind of, and, and no one takes responsibility, but the mothers who are the only ones doing all of these things. Uh, and I do feel like there's a part of me that 
wants to make visible the invisible part of that labor. Mm -hmm. But then there's also this part of trying to understand if what I miss about those rituals or about that connection to my family that I don't have here pushes me to recreate these other kinds of rituals for my kids to absorb and also belong to. They sometimes feel a little forced, you know, I don't have like the family dinner all there for me to just join and have a feast. I need to make this and it's also work, but I want to make my kids feel connected to Mexico and feel connected to my Jewish heritage and to my Syrian past. Yeah, that's such an interesting process. I, uh, my sister lives in Spain and she has a daughter who is half Mexican and half Argentinian because we're also part of the sort of the, the, the Latinx diaspora that sort of goes, you know, jumps from one country to another trying to find a new home. Um, and it is so important to her just keeping these Mexican traditions alive. So she like makes like a day of the dead altar every year in Spain and she used to do it in, in Argentina and, you know, sort of teaching my, uh, my niece all these, you know, Mexican traditions and words and everything. And it's such an important part of the immigrant experience to kind of create those things and keep those things alive. So I think it's so, um, interesting that you're doing that and through your work also. So thinking about family and in the practice of, 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 of making the work, um, I think it's also so important to keep, for example, like you said, the tradition of the knitting and showing of the labor. And I think knitting as a way of marking time, as a way of marking uh, heredity, as a way of marking traditions is such a fabulous and, and sort of like fascinating thing to do, that technique of how do you put all these different elements together and what you do with it? So what is the experience for you when you turn that into just um, a painting or an object or something that goes out into the world and isn't part of the family anymore? Do you feel that as, you know, kind of putting your um, experience out into the world um, or how does your work exist after you create it and, and when it leaves the studio? So I do feel like the studio is a, laboratory where I allow myself to feel completely free of judgment and sometimes we're the worst because we make something and wants to label everything and make it perfect but I do want to explore still and I'm asking questions all the time but once it goes outside I want the, these paintings to be catalysts for conversations about these issues that's I mean, of course, the paintings might be interesting as paintings, um, the textures in them, the visual language that I'm using, the colors, the light, um, all of those. You can have a whole conversation about painting in painting language. But I also want the work to be read as a way of bringing all of these traditions into a place. All of these layers um, might you know, might spark someone uh, with questions about how Mexico has like Syrians in, in it and how was their experience of immigration? Why did they went there? How, when? Um, is it similar to what's happening here? Um, and for example, like um, the past four years, I felt very vulnerable about certain parts of my identity, you know, like 
I grew up with this Jewish paranoia of not disclosing your identity sometimes, depending on the context. But I never yeah. felt that about being Mexican until until this past um, four years. Administration that we just left, yeah. Yeah, so I think that gives me another way of making the paintings more visible so that people can really talk about that and not feeling that pressure. So openly discussing these subjects makes people understand better, you know, the, instead of generalizing the particularities of, certain, of, of each story gives people yeah. perspective. And I hope they become much more understanding and open. How do you feel about narrative in the work? Because I think it's, it's, it's interesting how you put, you know, a multitude of sort of like um, smaller paintings or, or sort of smaller canvases together to sort of create a narrative. And sometimes it'll be like a smaller view of something that's happening in a bigger image. What is your experience of narrative when you're creating these? Do you have this idea sort of set up from the beginning? Do they come up as you're creating the piece? So I, I don't feel like it's a story per se, like a specific one or the character okay. does not represent anything specific or anyone specific. They do have um, a non-linear narrative where I point to different things and you can create um, your own interpretation of it. I, I like bringing or, or just like putting things together in a certain way using different gestures because they can they can force the viewer to experience the work in a more engaging way. Um, so I, I'm kind of like, I love that. It's like, like a dance, like you're playing a dance in space. And I'm installing the work purposefully. You know, if, if a work is closer to the floor, then you need to look at it from leaning down. And then if it's on a wall, as we always expect to see paintings, it works very different um, when you place the works in different ways. And I of like course, that yeah. you use analogies and, in, you know, it just it's, it, it's interesting to me to play with that too, with the placement of the works and how they can um, mirror each other from one um, symbolic thing or from one color to the next and have like different jumps, you know. How does the title fit into that? Do you have a specific way that you create titles or what is your feeling about titles? Yeah, I do feel like titles are also another access point to the work. And I try to bring poetry into them because I love language in that way. I also appreciate how sometimes something that I translate from Spanish into English, it's not quite right, but that not quite right. It's interesting to me. Yeah, so I like the titles are another entry point. I, I know that people keep saying for paintings, for like, you, like the work speaks for itself and whatnot. But for me, you can title the work and then maybe people will respond to that um, as another way of accessing the visual image. Yeah. I, I don't want to be uh, difficult. I want people to, to be comfortable in front of my pieces. No, I agree. I think the titles are so important because in the end, you know, a, 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 
a work that really catches my attention or holds my attention has some sort of like riddle in it. I want to see what does this person mean when, when they created this? What were they thinking? And how do I sort of access that emotion or that history? And I think titles are such an important part of that. So yeah, no, I appreciate long titles. I appreciate confusing titles sometimes. And definitely poetry is a great way of doing it um, to sort of get to that point or that emotion. So to, to put me in the position that you were when you're making things. Um, do you feel that you have to sort of negotiate between all those different identities and visual languages from, you know, a Syrian identity or a Jewish identity or a Mexican identity or being now in the United States? I guess it's always been very natural until more recently that I had to kind of revise my way of seeing myself. Um, I mean, I've always been appreciative of what, like the richness of my culture, but in certain places I felt vulnerable. So I questioned that. I yeah. was like, why is that? Is that because of me or is it because of the context? And that brought a lot of interest uh, in revisiting history and the way we tell stories and trying to of really value the the peripheries of the main uh, way of telling our story, right? So I do I do appreciate like just learning more about other people too. I'm I becoming more and more curious about others because I don't want to assume anything of, especially you know I don't look um, I, I'm not brown skinned and I don't look. Um, Mexican kind of so I um people always tell me you know like oh really you're not Mexican are you really and that kind of thing I've always grown up with that also in Mexico they're like no where are you from they, they keep calling me güerita that means blonde and I'm not blonde mm -hmm. but it's kind of like a very um I don't know it, it's just th those terms make me much more aware of where I come from and how I'm going to present myself to others. And of course, I'm Mexican, but people have that assumption that in Mexico, there is no. Uh, yeah. In the, in the work, how does that come out, do you think? I think in the work, it comes out pretty, pretty much as, you know, in the performative way of in way I, in the ways I connect with that history, literally or not it's there like I cannot it's not a straightforward image of something it's always layered into different different ways of uh, de describing um, or rendering something so it's always a lot of visual language in one image juxtaposed there um, and it, of like my sense of color is pretty much connected to that um, I always try to figure out what a color means and why and the temperature of this. So, I, for example, now I'm working with reds and browns and purples, and that's all connected to the ground and being grounded in the land and moving from one place to the next. And of course, like those uh, building blocks as well of like the you know children playing around me and um, and my father being an architect. So there's lots of different ways of. Um, connecting the colors and the ways I'm painting with my story. Yeah, I really like your colors. I especially I really appreciate the purples, and I think that's what you were mentioning about uh, about Mexico. Those really intense, vibrant colors and how they sort of seep into things. Now, what about um, there's an interesting line also in your work between 
abstracted configuration that seems to be about reflectivity sometimes or about seeing things through something else. Um, how do you navigate that line or is that something that you're conscious of when making the work? Yes, yes, I, I love that because when, when I enjoy painting the most is when the image that I'm looking at could not exist anywhere else but in painting. And I think it's exactly when those moments happen, you know, when there's like different layers all in the same, um, in the same painting or there's a different space that points out to a, you know, a perspective that does not correlate to the one that you have in the first layer. So things fade away, things are um, interlaced and appear and disappear. Um, the most recent paintings that I've been working on since the pandemic have been interesting in that sense because I started realizing what, what's behind me on the screen, uh, my, my background. Uh, and of course you decide how to design that scene, right? Like you want it to look zen or you want to look at, like have a studio shot of your painting that you're working on or whatnot. Um, and I started looking at that as my domestic landscape. That's, uh, and which objects that appear there are, are, they have been here in my house with me for many moves and many years. And why are they there? They, how are they here? Where do they come from? All of these questions of things that have been with me, but I don't really see them anymore because they are on the background. I kind of saw them again reflected into my screen. And I'm making paintings of those objects that are, are so related to my history, but then they're also kind of like in this place of, of, of my house, of isolation, and that's all I see, right? Yeah, and that's also like such an immigrant thing or, or, or sort of a, a marker of an immigrant experience. You know, those little traces of things that you've accumulated over time that somebody got somewhere and that you keep in your house that remind you of your aunt or your uncle or your, your grandparents or whatever, and those objects, that history in objects, I think is also... Um, so important to to kind of claiming your home when you leave the place where you grew up, you know. Um, I definitely have like a lot of things I've sort of like brought from home back uh, from when I was growing up or from mercados and stuff in Mexico, just little sort of markers of, of, of my identity around the house that uh, become invisible to me, but are very obvious to other people when they visit. Yeah. Yeah, those now, are interesting. Yeah. Um, Another thing that I, I, I find interesting in, in, in the way that you're creating paintings is also that idea of perspective. And I think that also ties into the idea of architecture probably and architectural rendering. But there seem in some of them to have sort of interesting kind of uh, perspective in some of the areas of the painting. Is that something you think about? Yeah, because I want, I want to, of course, like change the perspective of the viewer of certain things that they have already in their mind, like a set, like set of ideas. So um, mo like in, in the paintings that have these imaginary spaces, I, I wanna place the viewer in a, you know, in a vanishing point where there's another layer where their perspective. So it's, it's pretty much like, you, like if you were watching a movie and there's a screen in front of you. So there is the, this image of the 
of the film theater and then there's the image of the screen and then if there's another painting beside it it might be an image of a completely different you know like a very textured um, element that will point out to the outside world maybe you know an object outside or a painting in front yeah and that's important to me that's very much important to me now, what about the idea of the audience or the viewer? I think it's interesting when you mentioned that a lot of the work kind of happens when you're installing it and you're thinking about the relationship between the person seeing it and the way that they're going to interact with the work. Is that something that comes at like sort of at a later point? Do you have kind of a, a dynamic or a form of interaction that you're expecting or you're hoping that the viewer will have with the work or the scene? Yeah, yeah. Of course, it depends on which space am I presenting the work. And I mean that literally, like sometimes all the space you have is a screen in a, in a phone. And if yeah. that, that might be a very different experience and a very intimate one, maybe. You're like having the work in your hands. Um, and the whole, you know, it might be a mural and you're looking at it in a very, very small screen and a small scale. So I'm pretty much aware of those changes every time I'm presenting the work. And if I have a chance of like of, of uh, having an exhibition of my work, I kind of feel like at some point I become the curator of my own work and I install the work, um, trying to figure it out which pieces respond to other pieces in front or, or even to the furniture around or the walls, yeah. windows of those rooms. Do you work in series or in bodies of work or is it just kind of, the accumulation of things that then get, you know, when an exhibition comes, you kind of focus it into like a, a specific grouping. No, I I do feel like I work. It, I don't think I I think of my work in series, but I do work in a these in these ideas, and I have certain tendencies. So they usually are more focused on color, but they can go so. I'm working towards this project of the hands and women and immigration. And I go back and forth. It's been years since I started thinking about these ideas. And the work, it's about the same, but it's changing too, because I'm changing and I'm in a different context. Um, and it, of course, like what's happening around the world affects what's happening to my process. But I don't feel like they're serious. Of course, if I have a chance to have my solo exhibition, I will think of, a work that has coherence um, and you're gonna read it together as a group or as a series. But if I am just showing one thing, it might be selective responding to the things around it as well. How do you, in the studio, when you sort of hit a wall or suddenly, I don't wanna say run out of inspiration, but feel stuck in the process or something, how do you work through that? Is there an artist that you think back on or like, a specific like person that sort of helps you get through things when you're thinking about uh, when you're stuck. How does that, how do you keep going when you get to that point? So I have to tell you, since I became a mother that I, I feel like I became much more productive because I have very limited time in my studio. So when I'm there, I need to work and I need to focus on every single time I go, I need to be very productive. But when I'm stuck, I don't feel like I need to say making paintings or trying to force the work. I walk. 
I think walk, walking is the best. It's absolutely the best. And I see that my walks as, as art practice too. Um, it's research, you walk, but walking like meaningfully, like you're putting attention to what you're doing. As, um, as you walk, you're trying to absorb certain things or you play in your head some game of like finding this color that I was trying to find in the painting, but outside in the world. And you look at things differently when you see the colors, you know, together in certain harmony or not, or patterns. Um, or also I talk to, to my friends, especially now if like I meet them, um, they're not close to me, even if they're in Chicago. So yeah, either I cook, I, I go to my friends or I walk. Those, that's really, I, I love that because those are two things also that I really do a lot, walking, and that's one of the things that I miss so much also about being, you know, in sort of isolation. I used to walk like five miles a day every day. That was just sort of like my meditation space where like ideas would come, you know, and I would set like a problem for my brain to kind of think through and it's such a meditative practice, but between the winter right now and then just also like, it's scary being outside and I don't have to go anywhere necessarily. It's walking is one of the things that I miss the most. And yeah, I also love cooking. I also find it like so meditative and just such a way to like um, keep things flowing um, and to like unstick or get my brain to stop from being stuck. I, I talked to somebody else, to Caroline Kent, and she was talking also about that same process about how when she became a mother, the studio really changed and it became something where when you're there, you have to focus because you you know your time is so limited. How has your practice changed? You've mentioned also, the, for example, like how you took up weaving or the idea of weaving um, as part of like the creative process when when you had your first kid, your first son. How else has your practice changed with motherhood? So I think about my kids when I'm in the studio, and I think about my work when I'm with the kids. <laughs> <laughs> um, is your studio at home? So it it's funny, I never had a studio at home until the pandemic started. I was doing bald residency and then I had to move my studio. Mm. So I have a studio at home. And then just last week, I moved to a studio that I subletted at, at, outside. And I don't know if it's gonna work. It's far away from where I'm at, but I, I really wanted to be in that building and I feel like it's gonna be nice so hopefully I'm gonna build a community there it's it's yeah. hard to think about that long term because it doesn't seem to yeah. be working especially now long term is difficult right now period yeah but yeah yeah it's uh, so so for now it's home and I think I'm gonna keep the home studio because it allows it gives flexibility you know sometimes I'm not tired yeah. at night and I want to be productive and I want to have some space to to process things um, but it definitely changed my work being a mother because the kids are, they need a lot of energy and they have the best questions. Sometimes they have, they they bring work themselves that they solved in a minute, but they also give me perspective of how I need yeah. to be playful also in my work and I need to be relaxed about it and I need to, be, you know, it's art and it does not, of course, it, it, in order for it to work, it needs to be a 
free space to work by yeah. changing serious things too, you know? It's like comedy. You can, you're allowed to talk about very difficult stuff in comedy because you can laugh about it. I think it works entirely yeah. in art. And what was the experience of having the studio at home versus apart? Do you prefer to have that separation? So I prefer to have that separation because I need some space without noise. And the studio that I'm mm. working on, right, it doesn't have a door, so it's always noisy. And they yeah. are curious and they want to go and they want to play. Of course. And I, I really love them there and they know how to, you know, they, they know how to work with me, but not in my work. So they don't touch the things that right, I'm right. making. But I, I do feel like to invite people over to see work and to get involved with a community, that social part that we all miss so much, I, I'm not going to have if, if I'm staying home. Being a mother can right, be right. isolating as well when you're new in a in a city, and I I feel like it's it's in being an artist as well. So before I could be by myself for months and months, and I really appreciate like once I I shared a space with people around, at least you know just to be aware of who I like have lunch with them sometimes or coffee or just say hi and bye. Um, for me, yeah, those yeah. are connections that are going to be very, very meaningful sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Now, a couple of other questions. Um, and just kind of to start wrapping it up a little bit, but what kind of advice do you wish you would have gotten when you were much younger that would have really helped you out uh, later on as an artist or as a person in general? I, I, or alternatively, what advice would you give yourself when you were younger? <laughs> I, I think the judging is is interesting. I think people are very too hard on the, on themselves, and I think people should just uh, be much more relaxed about it because we we probably are responding like that uh, to uncertainty, but we are not going to be able to have more certainty if we're kind of like judging ourselves more all the time. So. I, I would say don't be so hard on yourself uh, and also just don't be hard in others. Don't judge people before you meet them at all. Like don't have prejudice. That's good advice. That's good advice. Now, can you maybe give us like three names of artists, writers, poets that are people that you just kind of keep coming back to or that are like really important in your personal canon? Yes. One is a very, it's an amazing artist, a woman, also mother. Her name is Ana Maria Mayolino, M-A-I-O-L-I-N-O. -O. Look it up, everyone. Perfect. Yeah, yeah she's great. Um, there's another painter. It's a couple. So th they work together sometimes and separately, too. It's Jakub Nordstrom and... Mama Anderson, they make incredible work. They work incredibly well together, but also both of their practices separately. They're, it's so interesting. Uh, and I, I like, yeah, I like the work of my friends because I know more of what they do than other people. There's more context, yeah. Exactly. So I, I like, I mean, I have lots and lots of friends whose work I've followed 
for years. So Omar Barquet, who's in Mexico, Agustin Guti Gonzalez. I mean, there's so many from my generation, but I, yeah. do, I do appreciate having them look at my work and I look at their work and just great. This year has been so difficult in so many ways uh, for everyone, but um, how has it changed your practice? We obviously talked about, you know, the objects and the backgrounds and how that has pushed you to focus on different things, but are you thinking about art in general in a different way or the art world? Yeah, yeah. I think this year showed us how important art, art is, like the practice and also the going and looking to the object in person. Um, I also feel like this year has shown us how we can live through these limits of like either being so lonely because you live by yourself or you are so eager to get lonely for a minute because you're with a whole bunch of people who you cannot escape from. You can't yeah. have any time for yourself. Uh, so art is kind of like a retreat for that. It's so important, it's an oasis. You need to kind of like go back to these um, practice of using your hands and, and using your body to connect and to express and to process. So uh, the art world has so many different, uh, way, like different things in it, but I definitely feel like it keeps us being humans and having platforms for, to connect with each other. And that's very important. Sure. It changed, it changed my practice because it changed my context and the way that I interact with, with my family and, and my people, my friends. So it, it, it was very disruptive in so many ways. Like the studio, yeah. the, the, studio the materials that I work with, I couldn't work with them at home. I started using paper mache and I'm doing sculptures. I'm making. I love, I love paper mache. It's so amazing. And it also gets into piñatas and all of that, but. Yes, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Artesanía. Yeah, definitely. But I love, I love it. I love it so much. It's still too soon to show, like to get a final piece on it, but I'm working with it and I'm so happy when I'm making the work. Um, that's and great. I can make that work with my kids too. So it's also a practice that's great um, to work on here. For sure. Well, that ties into the next question I was going to ask, which is what are you excited for in 2021, just to end things on a high note? Paper mache for sure. Um, I, I'm excited to, to for nature too. You know, it's just so incredible to just reconnect with that, like going out. I miss traveling and and yes. even if it's not too far, but traveling and, and going to places with friends, getting together, gatherings. Yeah, it's super um. for my kids <laughs> to go back to school full time. So uh -huh. I guess, yeah. yeah, so I get a little bit more space. Yeah, they really, they really now, need it. I, I am so appreciative of all the educators. Like they are, they are so, so amazing. Where can people find you online? I have an Instagram account. It's Karen Danas with an S at the end. And I have a website that it's Karen slash Dana.com. But if you Google my name, of course, you're going to find the, the Karen Dana artists and you can find me there. 
I'm available. Great. We'll, email we'll find you me. online. <laughs> Ask me questions. <laughs> <laughs> now, I one other question, because you were talking about the home also. Do you have a lot of your art in your own house? I have some and I keep changing it because I I like to look at it in a in a different setting. So I hang something and then I get tired of it. So I change it for something different that I want to see finished in that different wall that it's not the studio wall. Um, in that sense, having the studio here is great because I can just, you know, pull, swap it back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. Move things around. Karen. I had such a great conversation with you. I really hope that we're all able to leave our home soon and uh, hang out. I'd love to come by your studio, see what you're working on in person. Yeah, I would love that, definitely. Thank you so much for having me. Such a pleasure talking to you. And that is our interview with Karen Dana. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, despite the audio issues. Before we leave, some thanks to Natalie Murillo, La Spacer, for our theme music. Go check her out at lastpacer.com. Archives and Futures, a podcast for future generations, was produced, recorded, researched, and edited by me, Ivan Lozano, in Chicago, Illinois. Check out my work at ivanlozano.net or ivanlozano studio on IG. Thank you for listening, and until next time.